Have you been stressed, anxious, or worried? Have you felt pangs of loneliness in recent times? Are you longing for greater connection with others in the world around you? In a phrase, are you looking for happiness? You are not alone. Millions of others are seeking this feeling of spiritual, mental, and physical wellness too. This podcast explores the underlying causes of unhappiness and shares with us the secrets of rewriting the frequent thoughts and redirecting the common behaviors that keep us in that state. Join forensic psychologist and best-selling author Dr. Nihal and her guests as they dive deep in the realm of psychological wellness and explore ways of finding happiness on demand. Thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. My name is Alan Edwards, and I'm here with clinical psychologist Joan Nihal. Joan Nihal has written the Wall Street Journal best-selling book, Happy is the New Healthy. She says there is an epidemic of loneliness, which has been brought on by a dramatic increase in the number of people living alone, increased reliance on technology and social media, and sheltering in place during the pandemic, with more people working at home. The result is a lot of unhappy people, and Dr. Nihal is here to talk about that. Welcome, Dr. Nihal. Thank you. What um, is this epidemic of loneliness that you write about in your book? Well, loneliness is something that is one of the causes of us not having happiness or being as fulfilled as we can be today in our lives. In my book, Happy is the New Healthy, I identify it as situational loneliness or all of a sudden not being around a support network. Or it could be chronic loneliness, which continues for such a long for a long period of time. Now, some people might think that you need to live alone to feel lonely, or that being lonely means not having many friends or family around you. But you may have lots of social contact and support and still feel lonely, especially if you don't feel understood or cared for by the people around you. So social isolation refers to the absence of contact with other people. Loneliness, on the other hand, is the perceived subjective feeling of being lonely. Loneliness is not liking being by yourself. And you can experience it situationally, as I mentioned, Alan, through suddenly becoming divorced, widowed, a change in location of residence to a new province or state without a support network. All of those things would trigger loneliness. Why now? Why at this period of of, uh, society in our lives, why is there this epidemic of, of loneliness? And has there always been a lot of lonely people? Well... I think that's a very good question. But before we get to the epidemic, maybe we need to look at the statistics on loneliness to validate our claim, Alan, that it is an epidemic. In the United States in 2018, the loneliness statistics show that 30% of all adults reported loneliness. Think about that. Survey data from 2019 shows that 58% of Americans often felt like no one in their life knew them well. In 2020, young women in the United States were more likely to report losing contact with friends. And listen, this was even pre-pandemic times, okay? A 2021 American Perspective survey shows that Americans report fewer close friendships. In 2018, Theresa May developed the Ministry for Loneliness in the UK. 
The census in the UK shows that women often report feelings of loneliness more so than men. But, Alan, older men experienced more social isolation than women. 1.2 million older men reported experiencing moderate to high degrees of social isolation. 700,000 older men endorsed feelings of loneliness. Think about that. There is a prediction that 1.5 million older men will live alone in the UK by 2030. Now, what about us in Canada? Statistics Canada results in mid-2021 indicate that 40% of Canadians feel lonely, some or all of the time, with the problem being worse among single people and those who live alone. Social isolation occurred during the pandemic. This resulted in Canadians experiencing heightened anxiety and feelings of loneliness. It might be tempting to blame the pandemic for the tsunami of social dysfunction, but experts were talking about the loneliness epidemic and its effects long before public health officers forced isolation upon us. Baby boomers, millennials, Generation Z, young people, young adults, and older adults all reported loneliness. The research results can't find any age-related predictors of loneliness. The 2021 Statistics Canada survey found that nearly one in every four people aged 15 to 25 said that they always or often felt lonely, and that's a rate higher than within other age groups. Now, in the UK, they found over the past 70 years that the percentage of older people experiencing chronic loneliness has remained broadly static, imagine this, since the 1940s, with 6 to 13% of people over age 65 reporting that they felt lonely most or all of the time. And that's the most recent statistic I was able to glean as of April the 4th, 2023. Now, in response to your question, what are some of the causes of loneliness? It's an excellent question. Look, people are marrying much later, and people are moving to different provinces or states, often due to work or relationships, changing jobs, retirement, starting at university. And in these cases, if you don't have family or friends or community networks, you will experience situational loneliness. These factors are related to higher rates of social isolation and feelings of loneliness. Some of the contributors to loneliness involve the following, I would say, remote learning, remote work, working longer hours, parents not getting enough adult friend time, or not having enough time. What about poor health, infrequent social interactions? These are all good predictors of loneliness in all age groups. More people are single today than ever before. What about the decline in re religious observation and the rise of social media? They've also been blamed for the spread of loneliness, as well as having smaller nuclear families. Dating apps, social media could arguably be part of the problem. Social media may make young people feel isolated, left out. Their lives are boring. Technology can prevent people from seeking out real-life interactions. Those who feel lonely are usually those with more online-only friends. I had a client come to see me because she was really concerned over her son, uh, a teenager, <clears throat> having tons of online friends, but had absolutely no real friend. And he was really isolated, by the way. 
the rapid pace of our lives has also contributed to loneliness. We just don't have time, do we? We hear about the hurry-up sickness. In the 1970s, there wasn't Netflix and all of these video games competing for our time and attention. Social media wasn't around. Connecting excessively with technology helps us to miss out on connections we can experience in real life. Well, that's pretty surprising, but obviously the epidemic, the pandemic rather, has had a big impact on causing people to be isolated. They had to be isolated. Yes, they did. What's being done about it? What's being done about um, to combat loneliness, both here in Canada, North America, and worldwide? Yes. So the first part of your question involves what are some of the effects of loneliness and has the pandemic exacerbated it? Uh, the last part of the question, I would say a definite yes, especially if you had a pre-existing psychological issue such as anxiety and depression, you will find that they would be exacerbated during and after the pandemic. Look, some people are not even able to interact with other people today because they look at people as walking pathogens and they've developed a phobic response. I had a, I had a physician actually come to see me under duress because her family said she was, she was ripping the family apart. How? Because she developed a phobic response and told everyone, including her family members, look, you can't come and visit us for Thanksgiving, for Christmas. And she had her husband living in a different area so that he be protected from the pandemic. She would not treat patients face-to-face, -face, but only through teleconferencing. So those are some of the ways in which uh, the pandemic has affected us. But loneliness has been there long before that. And we have health problems associated with uh, loneliness, such as heart disease, stroke, a weakened immune system, obesity, inflammation, long-term disability, and even premature death, in addition to the psychological problems of low self-esteem, depression, and anxiety. Recent CDC reports that many older adults face a 50% increase in dementia due to social isolation, leading to increased stroke risk and premature death. And according to the National Institute on Aging at Ryerson University in Toronto, social isolation has also been linked to poor cognitive functioning. So think about that. The study showed that Canadians in 2020 were more likely to think of suicide when they experienced loneliness. So loneliness and feelings of depression and suicidal ideation do come together like a ham and cheese sandwich. You've got to be very careful. It affects work productivity as well. Did you know this? Because lonely employees are less productive and miss work more often due to stress. And that leads to billions of dollars in lost productivity. And did you know that the more time you spend on Facebook, the lonelier you'll feel? Dr. Murthy, the Surgeon General in the United States, said, and I quote, that when you're experiencing loneliness, it's as bad as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And how do we combat it? Uh, what do we do about this? I mean, it's great for me to say, well, look at all the issues. Well, let's get into some tips, please, and let's sink our canines into what we can do about it. I talked about Theresa May and what she did in the UK for the Ministry of Loneliness, but did you know that family doctors were encouraged to write their patients a script. And here's what, do you know what was on the script? I can't guess. 
<laughs> it was go for a walk, go outside, have a have a pet, have a picnic. Uh, I mean, this is what join a cooking class. This is what the physicians were saying to their patients when they wrote their prescriptions, or as I call it, your script. What happened in Japan? The, Japan followed the UK three years later. They didn't want to get left out, right? So they had a ministry for loneliness. Australia and New Zealand have national loneliness reduction strategies. And what about China? China passed a filial law requiring that adult children visit their aging parents regularly and attend to their spiritual needs. Ray Peddings believes that we should take greater responsibility for solving social isolation. Only 55% of us, Alan, have engaged with our neighbor in the last month. You think about this. So it starts very close to home. What do we do? I say go for a walk. Get involved in physical activity, stay hydrated, follow a healthy diet, value quality sleep by having good sleep hygiene, learn to cook nutritious meals. Look at how people inter interact with each other. Are you interested in some of these things that they're doing? Like, what are your hobbies? What are your interests? Do you like birding? Okay, join a group. Don't have to talk, just have to look. And, you know, with a, with a lot of people, they're scared of rejection. You know, you're going to reject me. So why am I going to stick my nose out together? You know, the juggler chopped. And I say, no, you can expect to have a good time. Do things, but do them in small incremental st stages. What am I talking about? I'm talking about uh, maybe do an online class first in which you do not have to interact. If you're going to do something like learning German in a classroom, tell the instructor, I just want to observe first. I don't want to participate. You are shaping your behavior and you're noticing from that that when you smile, other people smile with you. Hmm? And you also find out what I tell people is spending time with others makes us happier. That's a clinical fact. Happier people value spending more time with their friends than going out buying gadgets. So if you're living on your own, a roommate might help. Social interactions will help you feel that you're part of a community. And there's a lot that our communities offer us if we take the time to look. I say strategically plan to engage in activities that will increase social interactions. Join a book club, a hiking club. In Canada, you can do meet up. If you love spectator sports, like a lot of people do, get yourself to the pub and look at it at the pub. <laughs> you might meet people and cheer together. Hmm? You know, loneliness is contagious, but so is happiness, by the way. We have mirror neurons. Pick up the phone. Connect with people. We think about it all, and I'm guilty of it too, but we don't do it. It's easier just to send a text I know, or an email. Sorry, I can't make it. Admitting that you're lonely is the first step in recovery. It's like alcohol or whatever else. I am lonely. And with that comes vulnerability and perhaps a bit of shame. We need to talk about that. We need to deal with that. Be very, very careful when you compare yourself to others because you really don't know what's going on on the inside. Just like if you think that someone's going to reject you, they can't. Why? It's illogical. They don't know you. So how could they reject you? What are they rejecting? Really. And if you stop and use cognitive behavioral therapy, all of a sudden you realize that some of your fears are very illogical. And you don't need to rush, as I say. Pace yourself. The pandemic wreaked havoc on all of us. 
it wreaked havoc on our emotional well-being, but also on our physical well-being, as you said, because people were concerned. Do I keep distance from you? Do I shake your hands? Can I give you a hug? One of my patients said to me recently, I went to a cocktail party in New York, and I really didn't know if this person should give me a hug or not. You know, it still affects us, and we need to be aware of that and be compassionate and patient with ourselves. Hang out with people of similar interests. Bottom line is that feeling lonely, even when you're not alone, is more common than you, than you may think. It's actually a state of mind. That's how I define it. Ask yourself if you're feeling alone, unwanted, disconnected, empty. People who are lonely often crave human contact, but their state of mind makes it even more difficult to form connections. It's very much like depression in the sense that what happens is you withdraw. You become even more introverted, even though you know this is bad for you. It seems as though you're in the vice grip, grip of it and you can't move. Hmm? So where well, is solitude? all this is all this is very, very interesting. I understand from reading your book that people can change their own channel. They can change their lives by doing some some radical things and some not so radical things, uh, such as, as you say, just going for a walk, uh, introducing themselves to a neighbor, joining a club. Are there anything? Are there any other measures that people can take to to change their lives to to change them from being unhappy people to happy people? I talk about toxic positivity in my book. And what I mean by that is that you do not ever want to be happy at all times. Because if you are happy at all times, I would say you're certifiable. (laughs) (laughs) Really? What do you tell me? Of course, I'm going to feel a bit down today, a bit drooped. But I can bounce out of it faster. Because I got techniques, I got arm, I, I've got tools in my backpack I can pull out and use. One of them is to check my thought processes. Am I being logical in what I'm saying? Do I have data to support what I'm saying? What other choices do I have right now? And if I'm feeling bad, can I amp it a bit more? Like it can it get a little higher? Can you really make it worse? And if you can't, or even if you can, let's go with if you can. Okay, then what are you going to do? The what if question, you know, that's the thing that that ramps up anxiety. What if? And I say, what if you answer that question for me? What if this happens? Then what choices do I have? And you'd be amazed how that changes your perspective. Number one, I say, Ellen, identify what you're feeling. And just don't say it glibly, but rather come up with all of the different nuances in that feeling. Where am I feeling it? In my gut, in my chest, in my head? What am I saying? Am I feeling it in a fog? What's happening? And then from doing that first step, we can go into problem solve. And you might like dogs, volunteer. Volunteering is a fabulous way, actually, to meet people, if you want to. So I remember my father, my late father, always had a smile on his face when he greeted people. And people loved my father. And I think part of the reason was the way he approached people, always with a smile on his face. Is that something that can change people, people's um, engagement with others? Absolutely. Did you know we have mirror neurons in the brain? So that if I smile and you smile back at me, you will smile back at me. And then if you ask yourself how you're feeling right now, you'll probably say, hmm, pretty good. What's that all about? Okay. So 
your grandfather was doing something that was very, very important in psychology, you know, because with the mirror neurons, it, it elevates your mood. You start feeling better. And guess what? You start looking at options. Instead of feeling closed in a dead end, you're looking at, you have a broader perspective. So that's something we can do on Instagram, actually. I encourage people to put that smile out on Instagram. Tell people what it was that surprised you on your walk today. Another friend of mine who was a very friendly man used to approach people and um, engage with them this way. He would say, hello, my name's Jerry. What's been the best part of your day today? And it was amazing what people would tell them. People would stop and they would talk to him about the best thing that happened to them this day. And uh, if, if nothing good had happened, well, Jerry would encourage them to find something that's good. And then he'd be on his way. And he did that repeatedly. He did it in restaurants. He did it socially. And he did it with strangers. And it was very impactful. Of course. And did you know why? Well, uh, it certainly worked for him. But do you know why it worked for him? Not really. No. Tell you why. Because what he was doing, which was absolutely brilliant, was getting people to prime their brains to look for positives. So it wasn't a case of, hi, how are you? Fine. Go on on your way. But rather, he had them consciously, intentionally ask themselves, what was so good about my day today or what's so great about right now? So their brain now is primed to look for positives. And you know, our brains, the, the reptilian brain is primed to look for negatives because we have to protect ourselves from danger. So what he was doing was brilliant and it is, it is supported in the research. Yeah, he's so, a very successful realtor as well. And I don't doubt that his friendliness made people want to hire him to sell the real estate or buy real estate from him. Is there anything else um, you can say about how people can redirect their own lives to prevent them from descending into a sad situation and becoming more lonely? Yes. First of all, I want to rule out that there's nothing, there's no chemical imbalance, so there's nothing organic that is causing this feeling at the, at the moment because we have to look at it from a, a physical perspective first and if there's nothing and the person is just feeling drooped or down or you know what someone calls a purple funk i would say remember that only 10 percent of life events positive or negative or negative i should say account for our happiness or a state of happiness 40 percent of our happiness is manufactured it's due to our deliberate intentional effortful activities and thoughts. Okay, so what am I saying? That's not bad. Only 50% is due to DNA. That's a good news, guys. Think about it. Run with it. Well, I read your book, and I took this out of it, that uh, if you're thinking a negative thought, you can change that thought. You can change your own channel in your own mind uh, to make yourself, well, certainly take yourself from an unhappy situation to at least a neutral situation or a happy situation by changing your thoughts. Yes, I do say that because that's part of cognitive therapy. But sometimes I must say to our listeners that you don't that you're not to feel dismayed or discouraged if you can't do it like flicking on a light switch. Because sometimes you might be feeling really in a deep rabbit hole of hopelessness. And there, the first step is to be aware of it, identify it, and then ask yourself the following question, because when you're in that stage, Alan, 
you don't think that there is a possibility of getting out of it. You think time is, it stands still. It's like a nightmare. It goes on relentlessly. So at that time, what I encourage people to do is to think about times in their lives when they felt a similar way and how did they bounce out of it? Because they're still alive. They're talking to me now. So how did they do it in the past? And can I harness some of that, some of that resilience and apply it into this situation? Now that's a far cry from saying just about, you know, to, you know, move from one feeling to another. It involves some steps first. And if you follow those steps, first, acknowledging, two, really staying with it, welcoming the feeling. It's telling me something. It's like red light, stop. Deal with it. And then ask yourself, how did I deal with this in the past? Now, how can I use some of those strengths to move forward out of this? It's great because what we're doing as well is encouraging people to be resilient and to be autonomous so that you really don't need therapy. You can be your own therapist. Wouldn't that be lovely? Life does have its ups and downs, and that that affects everybody. Everybody has ups and downs. And I really feel that when you're down, you can't fall off the floor. There's only one way, and that's up. And in your book, and what you advocate is people can go a long way to lifting themselves up. But everybody needs support. And what I take from this interview is that you can go out and engage with people on a variety of levels and terms and build your own support groups to, to assist yourself in getting out of a lonely state, getting out of unhappiness. Yes, and one of the things we need to also underscore is that in the past, we had a village. We had a, an extended family. We had people around us to support us. I had my nan, I had my grandpa, I had other people who would be there for me in our village. Nowadays, it's all a very small nuclear family. And so we're getting loneliness, we're getting anxiety and depression in our young people as well. The village is no longer there. So we have to seek out different forms of social connection. You want to talk a little bit about your book, why you wrote it, and how people can uh, get your book, Happy is the New Healthy. Well, after 35 years in the field as a clinical psychologist with a forensic specialization, I said to myself one day, wouldn't it be wonderful if I could pass on these nuggets of information I have gained with working over 15,000 clients over 400,000 hours, how can I use some of this information and pass it on to other people? And that was the reason I wrote the book. It took me years, by the way, to research it and get it done because I'm also working full time. But this was my gift. It was my way of saying to the world, hey, read this. It's like a conversation you're going to have with me. There's no psychobabble in it. And learn from it. And it's really rewarding to know that people are finding it so useful. I'm humbled. Well, it was a good read. I enjoyed it and uh, life-changing for me to read some of the things. It supported some of the things that I do in my life and gave me some ideas on how I can improve my life. Well, thank you for this, Dr. Nihal. In future podcasts, we'll hear from some of Dr. Nihal's colleagues, very bright people, uh, people in their various fields who can talk about how we can achieve happiness in our lives. That's all for now. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining this discussion on happiness. We hope this helps to inspire you to lead a more joyful life. 
To dive deeper into the subject of happiness, be sure to check out Dr. Nihal's book, Happy is the New Healthy, available as an ebook or hardcover. For additional resources, visit our website at drnihal.com. Until next time, stay happy.